Hello, horror fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast, Oh! The the horror. Horror! Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe or follow to add us to your regular rotational podcast. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com. You can check out our website as well at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. Catch up on season one, season two. Three? Yeah. Dive mm-hmm. into the rest of three, if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. You know, for all you new folks, welcome aboard. <laughs> Buckle up. We love you. Keep your hands and feet inside the vehicle yep. at all times. <laughs> yeah. No, check out our, our full deal. I know. Yeah. There's some people that look and they're like, oh, I'm not really into that. It's like, we do a little bit of everything. We really do. You know? Yeah. And uh, I think this week is a great example of that. Yeah. You know, usually we're getting into the, uh, the lore of certain, you know, fables and... Uh, legends and, mm-hmm. or we'll get into uh you know true crime with you know serial killers yeah. and massacres and haunted places but then traditionally uh starting last year we started doing music month yep. of july for july because it's my birthday month it's your birthday month and i'm a big music fan mm-hmm. and uh you know i have to admit i would have never picked this topic but I'm a huge fan of this because, like, I grew up literally involved in a lot of this. I picked this yeah. specifically for this month because not only is this tragic, mm-hmm. but you could also argue that it is horrific. So it really does fall under our umbrella. Oh, no, it definitely falls under our umbrella. Yeah. You know, I'm not nixing that mm-hmm. at all. Um, Like I said, it just it's something I wouldn't really normally mm-hmm. pick. Um, And I say, like, early in our career of podcasting into the third yeah. year, because if that shows to anybody, like, this is how, this is how long point. we're looking yeah. to go. We still think we're early in all of this, which... In podcasting, you know, three years is early. Yeah, there's we, a lot of people that have been doing this for very much in our infancy. Ten years, yeah. you know, and um, but yeah, this uh, this is a great topic mm-hmm. for those of you that missed the title and you're just playing through. This is uh, season three, yes, episode one hundred and thirty three, yes, and we are doing the story of Sid and Nancy. Sid and Nancy, the love story. Yeah, you know, which uh, yeah, there's a lot of pieces in here, you know. And uh, yeah. I was I was a huge fan of the punk rock scene growing up as a kid, mm-hmm. and it was a weird time. Like in the like late seventies, early eighties, there were some weird points in music. Like like you couldn't like Kiss and Motley Crue at the same time. Like you had to pick one, right? And I couldn't do that. I liked yeah. them both, yeah. but like in the playground, hanging out mm-hmm. in your first few grades of school. You had your Motley Crue, at least where I went to school. You had your Motley Crue fans, and you had your Kiss fans. See, and, where I went to school, yeah, they had all the music, country and Western. And Western, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then there was the rest of us the music that listened of the devil, to you know, everything yeah. else. Yeah. But, yeah, there was a huge yep. country yeah, following. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, here's the thing is uh, – then you had this kind of lower level punk rock scene, you know. And the, I'll be honest, I didn't actually stumble into punk until I was much older, like most didn't. out of school. Most didn't. 
you know, because I mean, yeah. we really are talking 70s. Because mm-hmm. here, you know, let's draw it back a bit music wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is some generalizations because, you know, we only have so much time to talk about this shit. Um, you know, so you've got big band era in mm-hmm. the early 1900s and you had blues. Yeah. And you had jazz. Mm-hmm. And that was basically like the three things. Right. Here in the States. Yeah. You know, so so now as that starts getting in, technology is providing some different types of advantages for stuff. And so you had this combination of blues and you had this combination of now it's not just acoustic instruments. You have electrified instruments. Mm-hmm. And this brings rock and roll. Right. Couple that with the boom era post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Where everybody's just happy to be alive. Yeah. Everybody's happy to see the world turning in, for the most part, a very positive right. direction compared mm-hmm. to this other direction it was going to go into with the mm-hmm. axes of evil. And and that war coming to a conclusion, people going home, they're screwing like rabbits, they're having kids, they're loving life. You've got this electrified instruments now where you have amplifiers and guitars but pickups. And you have this situation now where you have rock and roll Mm -hmm. and that's become this new thing, you know, and you had all the big band era people, the parents and all that, like, oh, this is the music of the devil. Oh, my God. What's Elvis doing? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so if he wasn't gyrating his hips, I think they probably would have been all right. Well, yeah. And I mean, you think about how much shit's changed. Like they had to film him from the waist up. Up. Yeah. On shows that he was playing on, you know, where now we got, you know, everybody twerking in people's faces. And yeah. Shit. It's we're lucky if we can get clothes on them. For yeah. A, uh, and it hasn't even been 100 years. No, I mean, we're, we're literally talking about 40 to 60 years, depending on where you kind of chart all this stuff. Right. You know, so so you get that group going. So that was the counterculture at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, then a little bit after that, you get a whole new counterculture. And this is the flower power, the mm-hmm. 60s, the hippie generation, where you got jam bands and you've mm-hmm. got uh, just really kind of different stuff. And and again, this is where technology and music is helping out a bunch. For now, uh, it's not just amplifying music. Now you can add distortion mm-hmm. and things like that. And that's what Jimi Hendrix was doing. You yeah. know, and then you had the Beatles. They were just doing all this wild, weird shit, you know. Yeah. And this became the birth of, like, progressive bands. Right. People can hate on the Beatles all they want, but they really kind of birthed, like, the Sgt. Pepper's album yeah. is really a birth of progressive music. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you were listening to Red Crimson and Rush and, you know, Yes and all these other groups, I mean, that was kind of a spawn off of that where you could have this kind of themed album and this themed idea and it was totally different than going out to the bar picking someone up or going parking and hanging out and smooching with your honey which was at the time you know and and that's uh you know this kind of evolution of music that's coming so then you need another kind of anti-establishment movement and that becomes the harder distorted rock and roll right and this is where the heavy metal stuff started coming in and this was van halen like you know Eddie Van Halen was doing amazing stuff, but if it wasn't for Jimi Hendrix doing stuff with distortion, right? Would he have found that out? Maybe, you know, but but right. it, yeah. it connects. You see this building as it goes mm-hmm. up in music, and to me, this stuff is fascinating. I could nerd out on this forever, so I'm going to try to keep it as quick as possible. But so you've got the progressive uh, music that's mm-hmm. telling these stories, these epic tales mm-hmm. of 
of songs, and it's this very small kind of counterculture movement there. You've got rock and roll, which is this big counterculture thing, and that was basically a fuck you to disco. Yeah. Because disco was out, and that was pop music at the time, Mm -hmm. you know. And then in the middle of this, you had Yacht Rock, which Yacht Rock at the time was pop music. That's what your parents listened to. Yeah. You know, so you had you had progressive, you had what's now yacht rock but pop music. You had disco mm-hmm. and you had rock and roll slash heavy metal. Right. You had these four big things. And they all had these certain groups. Then there was this teeny little layer underneath <laughs> it of punk rock. Yeah. Which was just basic, no special effects. Yeah. Nothing. It was just raw music. Mm-hmm. Get a guitar, plug it into an amp, turn it on ten, and jam. Right. And, you know, play a shitty, you know, like it wasn't about having great instruments. It was about shitty, just shitty sound, shitty everything. Yeah. It was the anti-establishment of, anti esta- everything. of yeah. establishments. It was the anti-everything. And everybody famously turns to the Ramones for a lot of this. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of argument of who started punk rock and all that stuff. But, I mean, the Ramones were really a big deal in it. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that were kind of lifting up and letting everyone else know, hey, this is a way you can do things mm-hmm. as a musician. So this is where you get somebody like the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. And the Sex Pistols come out of this kind of movement. So if you know nothing about music, you got a nice little kind of evolution of music. You got up, a nice little primer on music. Yeah, up to uh, basically the mid-70s to late 80s mm-hmm. is where we're at now, where we're going to hang out for a bit. So we'll start with Sid Vicious, because this is really kind of where it bases all of it off. Mm-hmm. And he was a bass player for the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is John Simon Ritchie. He was born May 10th, 1957, and he passed away. Um, Hold up. Yeah. Do we want to do sources? Yeah, sure. Why not? We're that kind of group, right? Yeah, we and we normally <laughs> do them at the top. So I figure before yeah. we get too far into this. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Yup. That's why this partnership works. <laughs> I'm the killjoy. <laughs> I just have two sources, biography.com and newsweek.com. Okay. I actually found a pretty cool one on Yahoo, believe it or not, which I usually sneer uh, my face it's at. Yahoo! Yeah. And that's the jaw-dropping story behind Sid and Nancy, punk rock's most tragic romance. At uh, independent.co.uk. Uh, independent. Yep. And their claim, and I would agree with it, you know, Sid Vicious is, is still punk's biggest mystery. Yeah. 40 years after his death, and we'll dive into that. And then uh, I have uh, another one where um, it's basically uh, a story of, like, Freddie Mercury um, talking about Sid Vicious. And uh, I got a source for that, and that was uh, faroutmagazine.co.uk. Far out, man. So that's later later on down the tour, man. I got you know. another source for later, but I'll drop it when I go to it, man. Okay, yeah. And then I've got some cult news at the end, uh, some late-breaking cult news. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> this just in. <laughs> yeah, we need the ticker tape. I think we should do that, yeah. Yeah, yeah for, for updates. Okay, so go so, back. So we got John, John Simon Ritchie. Yep. Uh, born May 10th, 1957, uh, passed away February 2nd, 1979. Better known by his stage name, Sid Vicious, was an English musician best known as the bassist for the punk rock band The Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. Despite dying in 1979 at age 21, so young, yeah. sad, 
Uh, he remains an icon of the punk subculture. Um, one of his friends noted that he embodied everything in punk that was dark, decadent, and nihilistic. Yes. And honestly, couldn't agree more. Um, so, he, yeah, he was born in uh, Lewisham to John and Ann Ritchie. Um, Ann Ritchie Nee McDonald was her name. Uh, Ann had dropped out of school and joined the British Army. And that's where she met um, Ritchie's father, a guardsman at Buckingham Palace and a semi-professional trombone player on the London jazz scene. So shortly after Richie's birth, he and his mother moved to um, uh, Ibiza, I think it's called, uh, where they expected to be joined by his father, who did not appear uh, and provided no fi financial support. Right. Uh, Anne reportedly sold marijuana to get by. Um, with the help of the British Embassy in Spain, Anne returned to England and settled in uh, Toonbridge, Wales, uh, Wells, Kent, where she enrolled uh, her son, known as John, in Sandown Court School. Now it's called the Skinner's Kent Academy. Um, in 1965, Anne married Christopher Beverly, who died six months later of kidney failure. Anne and John... You never, you never deal with someone who has two first names for their name. It's tough. It really is. I think there's some bad luck around it. Yeah. You know, like, I, I got a buddy of mine. He's like, you never trust somebody with two first names. No. And I was you like, don't. why? And he's like, just because. It just doesn't sound right. It doesn't. <laughs> like Chuck Todd for the news. I yeah. was like, I don't yeah. trust anything he says. And not because I don't think he's an idiot, which he is. But, I don't, you know. <laughs> it's not that I didn't think, you know, like he was yeah. reliable or dependable. It was just because he had two first names. Two first names. Yeah. And Two shitty ones, if I'm being honest. If I had a if I had a first name for a last name, I'd want a last name for a first name. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be like McKinley Chris. Oh no. Yeah. No. That's even worse oh, than two is. first names. See, it now, is. now you know why people have two first names. We just cracked that. We solved it. We just it. cracked that right knot. here. Jeez. Ten minutes in. That's <laughs> so yeah, he dies six months later, a kidney failure. Uh, Ann and John lived briefly in Bristol and uh, Cleveden, Somerset. Uh, in 1971, the pair moved to Stoke Newton in Hackney, uh, East London, where John uh, attended uh, Clissold Park School, now Stoke Newington School. At this time, he began using the name John Beverly. Mm -hmm. And then by 1973, Ann's life was so consumed by her addiction to heroin and opiates to the point where she was unaware that her son was attending uh, Westminster Kingsway College, then known as Kingsway College of Further Education, and as a community and vocational school for students with difficulties. He's having troubles the whole time. Yeah. Go figure. I mean, it's just like not a good start at all. So, what you mean having a drug addicted parent doesn't help you? Oh, it's like, not even drug great... addicted parent. Like, he doesn't even have like a father figure. He's got nothing. You know? Yeah. I mean, the uh, one person he has is addicted to drugs yeah. and is. Unreliable. No, and I'm just saying there's, there's no father figure or yeah. anything like that. So, uh, so while at Kingsway, which uh, he was likely attending to complete his what they call O levels, mm -hmm. uh, John indicated to a counselor that he was contemplating suicide. Yeah. Uh, there were also claims that he was torturing and killing cats. And this is where you start getting into the weird stuff of Sid Vicious, where you don't know what's true and what's right. not. Yeah. This guy is literally shrouded in so much mystery. Yeah. Um, the mystery is more out than the fact. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. sad. Very sad. 
Uh, but when John turned 16 that year, Anne kicked him out of her home. So he's out on his own at 16. Um, in 1973, Beverly met fellow Kingsway student John uh, Lydon, who uh, introduced him to his friends John Gray and John Wardle, all four who became known locally as the Four Johns, quit school and began squatting in various uh, dismal locations. Three of the Four Johns would then take nicknames. Uh, Lydon nicknamed Beverly Sid Vicious, mm-hmm. um, and that's after he was bitten by... Um, Lyndon's hamster, Sid, um, named after Sid Barrett. Uh, Lyndon's uh, bandmate, guitarist Steve Jones, gave him the name Johnny Rotten, and Sid nicknamed uh, Wardle uh, Joe Wobble. Um, the, four, uh, the four young men started hanging out around the King's Road in Chelsea, Clinton, or Chelsea uh, London, Ugh. which at the time was the epicenter of swinging London. Uh, this is when music and fashion were, you know, merging together. Mm-hmm. It was a favorite spot of many people, um, clothing stores. And um, this is where uh, Vicious met um, American expatriate uh, Chrissy Hine. Yep. And before she formed her group, The Pretenders, who reportedly failed to convince Vicious to join her in a sham marriage so she could get a work permit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to Leiden, he and Vicious took up busking, uh, which, you know, is yeah. all over the place over there and here. Mm-hmm. Um, with Leiden singing and occasionally playing the violin, Vicious playing a tambourine or an acoustic guitar. They would play Alice Cooper covers and people gave them money to stop. <laughs> and that part of it just kills me. That's awesome. Like, that's the best... I'll give you 50 bucks to stop. I know. I know. So for all you buskers out there that are struggling with your own music or covers, I think Sid was on a like a really kind of genius move here. Yeah. We just play terrible. And I'll be like, dude, what is it going to take for you to stop? And you're just like, 50 bucks? You yeah. Know, and yeah. there you go. 50 bucks. In what? 10 minutes? Yeah. 15 minutes? You know, while all these people are playing hours, moving spot to spot, you know. I think they were onto something, you know, visionaries ahead of their time. Uh, in 1975, Lynn joined uh, Jones, Glenn Matlock, and Paul Cook in the formation of the band The Sex Pistols. And this is when it officially got rolling. And uh, managed by McLaren, uh, Vicious was photographed watching the band attack their audience at Nashville Rooms in Kensington in 1976. Vicious then began his musical career. So this is where... It really starts getting in and they, uh, you know, he learned to play bass. Um, you know, I'm not going to go into all well, the bands here, he was I'll, in. Uh, I, I've got a little. Oh, okay. A little snippet, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to introduce Nancy just briefly here. Mm-hmm. She was born in a comfortable Philadelphia suburb, but, you know, conformity and all that jazz was just too much for her. And she landed in a mental institution And then a school for troubled kids before running off to New York City at age 17. It should also be noted that in other sources, they state that she was so smart that she actually graduated early. So some sources say she was brilliant, Mm -hmm. graduated early. Others say her uh, mental issues 
were such a struggle for her that she couldn't finish school. She couldn't finish college. So it's like, no, again, okay. Both of these are shrouded in so much mystery. Right. And they both found the common ground in the combustible arena of punk rock, as you stated. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and honestly, they were the best bringing out the worst in each other. Yeah. Yeah. So they were like a, a musical Bonnie and Clyde <laughs> or Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. Um, by the mid 70s, Vicious was a fixture in London's punk circles, both as a musician. He was a drummer for Susie and the Banshees and Flowers of Romance. And as a symbol of the explicit anti establishment movement, he reportedly invented its popular pogo dance. It's where you just jump up and down. Mm-hmm. In February 1977, the bad boy got his big. Big break when nominated to replace Glenn Matlock as bassist for the Sex Pistols, then known for their 1976 hit Anarchy in the UK, even though he didn't know a thing about playing the bass. So he was nominated to replace a bass player, and he's like, awesome. Wait, yeah. <laughs> I don't know so, shit so about this, fuck about the bass. So I'll, I'll kind of catch up into that. You know, so like he gets into uh, these other bands, you know, the Flowers of Romance and... Um, you know, Susie and the Banshees and, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's getting all into this and, uh, you know, he, the flowers of romance, he was a vocalist and a saxophone player. Um, and the flowers of romance was actually with the clash co-founder, um, Keith, uh, Keith Levin and, uh, Viv Albertine. And, um, they would go on to become, uh, who would then become the guitarist of the slits. Uh, and then during this time he learned to play bass by listening to the first Rome, Ramones album, Ramones. And that's okay. how he was looking to get in, in, in onto that. And there was the uh, just these kind of up-tempo tunes that they would do. And, you know, he was looking at it for, you know, for there. So in 1976, in June, Vicious went to a Sex Pistols concert at the 100 Club. And Nick Kent, who played guitar with the Sex Pistols early on, had left music to become uh, like a music critic. And um, this like champion of uh, punk rock. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, uh, let's see. Um, because I don't need to go through all this. Uh, so yeah, the flowers of romance didn't perform live. There's no like mm-hmm. record of the music or anything like that, but he became, uh, the attention of the members of the damned. Uh, he was considered along with, uh, this other guy for the position of lead singer, but vicious failed to show up for the audition. So vicious contended that, um, this guy and his associates intentionally withheld information about the audition to ensure that vicious would miss it. You know, yeah. all this typical band yeah. drama shit that not a lot of people know about unless you get into bands. And um, so on the 20th of September, 1976, Vicious appeared with Susie and the Banshees playing drums at their first gig at the 100 Club Punk Special in London's Oxford Street. It was a two-day festival. Uh, the following day, Vicious went to uh, the dam's performance, drunk and high on amphetamines, and he hurled his glass at the stage, attempting to strike you know, uh, someone playing, uh, he missed the glass shattered against a pillar and blinded a woman in one eye. Nice. Yeah. So these are like some of the yeah. crazy stories you hear about Sid Vicious. So Vicious was arrested and imprisoned at Ashford, uh, uh, Remen center and West, uh, Wood and Albertine visited, uh, Vicious in prison with Albertine bringing the book Helter Skelter as a gift. So now you get into 1977 and this is where the sex pistols come into play. Right. And, um, they had uh, someone that was thrown out of the band. 
and allegedly it's because he liked the Beatles. <laughs> no, I, punk stories are the best because it's just it's <laughs> some of the craziest shit over the craziest stuff, you know. And so uh, this is how Vicious, uh, you know, replaced this person. And uh, in his autobiography, I Was a Teenage Sex Pistol, Matlock says he quit because he was sick of all the bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, In the 2000 uh, documentary, The Filth and the Fury, the band members agreed that there was tension between Matlock and Rotten. um, But Matlock says that those tensions were aggravated by McLaren, the manager. Mm -hmm. Um, So he wanted to basically generate chaos in the band as a creative mechanism so i mean like this is how crazy the punk scene gets like the manager's trying to make the band a mess so they're appealing right because a mess is what punk people are into because they're a mess right sorry super sorry to say it but it's true i've been there (laughs) (laughs) and so um you know this is a way of building the the band's image and then uh he wanted matlock to leave and replace him with vicious saying if johnny rotten is the voice of punk then vicious is the attitude. And that was the marketing yeah. that went behind the Sex Pistols. So vicious uh, became the Sex Pistols uber fan, never missing a concert. He was encouraged to be drunk and disorderly. Uh, and basically, Sid was offered up as a sacrificial lamb by the other people around the Pistols. None of them would have gotten over the top. He was their kamikaze pilot, and they were all too happy to strap him in and send him off. Yeah. You know, so this is this whole toxic environment that's coming in. So in March 1977, the Sex Pistols are signed to A&M Records. In celebration, they trashed the company's office and then held a private party at a speakeasy in a club uh, that was represented by established members of the London music scene. The um, Sex Pistols confronted uh, BBC DJ Bob Harris, who was presenter of the Old Grey Whistle Test, a television show which featured non-chart music. And they were blocking him behind the bar, broken bottles in hand, and they demanded to know when they would be on the show. This is their launch party. They go, yeah. I mean, you think about it. They were signed on to AM Records and they go in there and trash the fucking place. Right. Like, that's fucking hysterical. So, Vicious eventually plays his first gig with the Sex Pistols uh, on April 3rd, uh, 1977, the screen on the green. His film was. Uh, um, his debut was filmed by Don Letts and appears in punk rock movie. If you're mm-hmm. ever so inclined to check it out. Uh, but he could not play well and he had no bass experience, which right. gets to yeah. what you're saying. So guitarist Steve Jones played bass on the band's debut album. Never mind the Bullocks. Here's the sex pistols. So if you're an avid fan of punk yeah. and you're a huge Sid Vicious fan and you love listening to that album and you don't know this detail, yeah. Um, your guy's not playing on it. Yeah. Doesn't play a single note no. on that album. No. Um, Vicious, however, and there's other fans that are like, no, he was able to play one track, and it's true. The uh, one track bodies, but his contribution was later overdubbed by Jones. Right. So uh, he also missed out on uh, most of the band's rehearsals, recording sessions, because he was in a... He was in a hospital with hepatitis, uh, you know, likely caused by intravenous uh, yep. drug use. And by this time, Vicious is using heroin, and many believe that his mother was his supplier. Yes. Uh, Dee Dee Ramone had uh, seen him shooting drugs on more than one occasion, and Rotten's friend John Gray had uh, found Vicious shooting speed while he was still living with his mother. Vicious told him that the drugs uh, were me mums. Yeah. You know. 
And so this, in 1977, is when Vicious met Nancy Spungen. Correct. She had arrived in London, a groupie from the New York punk scene, and she was generally regarded as loud, obnoxious, and unlikable. She was spurned by the other groupies and accepted by the musicians largely for her ability to procure heroin. Yeah. Not because of her, necessarily. She soon made a move on the Sex Pistols frontman, Johnny Rotten, and finding an unreceptive audience, she turned her attention to Vicious. And it was love at first. Horrible sight. (laughs) In Vicious, she found a naturally shy soul, one enduring of her hard edges, as well as the irresistible pull of a star on the rise. And in Spongin, he found someone experienced in nurturing and grown-up matters of sex and drugs, while also proving needy for his own brand of affection. So they could share this drug thing. They shared this voracious love for each other. Well, here's here's here it is in a nutshell. You have a guy that grew up with no kind of motherly support. Yeah. No motherly love. Yeah. No affection. Um, no affection. No boundaries. Mm-hmm. No um nothing. Mm-hmm. Um and again, no father figure in his life. So he's on his own. And then this person comes into his lap, into love his lifestyle. Him. Yeah. Love bombs him. And gives him attention. Yes. You know, because um, I'm not even going to say what she gave him was good attention. She you just know, gave him attention. She just gave yeah. him attention. He was that in a in a drought so much uh, for good attention right. and never received it. So now you have this person that comes in with their own set of problems. So this is where you have this kind of junky, junky relationship where the, the drugs are the main thing in common. Right. And then- their story is the other thing they have in common. Right. But yet neither one of them are able to prop themselves up, let alone someone else. Yes. So what they're doing is they're barely propping up themselves. Exactly. Together. Yes. And this happens all over the place. It does. It really it does. does. One onlooker later captured the unique nature of their bond, describing how Spongin once instructed Vicious to push a fawning groupie down the stairs at a club. And he did. Quote, Without a second thought, recalled the witness, quote, he was in night in rusty armor, end quote. As the pistols improbably thrashed their way into the mainstream, riding the turbulent wave of singles like May of 1977's God Save the Queen, Vicious and Spongin then became inseparable. According to Sid's Way, the life and death of Sid Vicious, the couple moved into a flat in the quiet West London neighborhood of Maida Vale, where they sunk further into heavy drug use and fended off intrusions from the police. Meanwhile, the rest of the pistols are not an exactly harmonious unit to begin with, are chafed at the enduring presence of this abrasive American. Manager Malcolm McLaren later admitted to trying to have her kidnapped and put on a plane back to New York, though the couple's inability to be apart rendered that plan impossible. The group managed to have Spongin banned from their U.S. tour in January 1978, and Vicious responded by behaving erratically, at one point smashing an audience member over the head with his bass in Dallas. So so before the American tour, uh, if you're not a Sex Pistols fan, what you got to understand is, is as they're getting together and they're hanging out, 
They're verbally abusive to each other. They're physically abusive mm -hmm. with each other. Um, they both had this weird kind of infatuation with knives. Um, you know, just you got two really broken people. But yeah. here's the weird part. Even with Spongin' and Toe, the band goes on the Scandinavian tour. Then they tour Holland and UK. Um, October 28th, 1977, their only album, never mind the Bullocks, Here Comes yeah. the Sex Pistols, was released and due in part to notoriety, particular, particularly of the song God Save the Queen. And in spite of sales bans at major retailers, like retailers didn't want anything to do with this album. Right. The album debuted at number one on the UK album charts and went gold in the 17th of November. So there's this whole mess that's happening. Right. But yet this band is skyrocketing. Yeah. But also skyrocketing with just this total counterculture. Yeah. Anti. Chaos. Just chaos and just like there's no rules. No. No rules with this band. No. You know, and so like people that are younger today, I hate to sound like the old dad or whatever, but like, there's never been a band like this ever. No. Since then. No. I mean, it just it was one of a kind. One of a kind, and during a moment where it was acceptable. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just and and this gets into them becoming just this huge thing, and um, it remained a bestseller for nearly a year, spending 48 weeks in the top 75. Now you think about it; it's crazy. Just that is being crazy. in total different brand a total mm -hmm. different like i said i mean this is 1977 this is disco yeah this is rock and roll mm -hmm. this is hard rock coming into play and progressive music mm -hmm. and what's known as yacht rock now which was pop yeah you had those five music genres that were in the top 100 mm -hmm. and then you had this come into fucking play yeah totally different totally weird and uh just remarkable and um you know, at this point, it's it's frequently listed, even up till now, the most influential punk album of all time. Yeah. You know, it's the Ramones and it's the Sex Pistols. Like, that's... Yeah, pretty that's, much. That's the influential stuff. Like, you hear that first and, like, you're like, holy crap, I need to hear more of this. And mm -hmm. you go into the other stuff. You might hear the other stuff now and you go, hey, this is where it all started. Right. But, but uh, on December 24th, 1977, the Sex Pistol played the Royal Lynx Pavilion Cromer the next day. The band played two shows at Ivanhoe's in Huddersfield, West Yorkshire. And it was during the National Fire Brigade strike and the band performed a matinee for the children of firefighters. <laughs> I mean, you just can't yeah. get over this stuff. Um, and there's um, basically... Vicious uh, had to be warned not to be the hardcore, tough rocker bloke in front of the children. Mm -hmm. And this is in a documentary. Um, the track of uh, Vicious singing uh, the Johnny Thunder song, Born to Lose, which appears on Sid Sings, was recorded during this performance as Vicious stepped in when Lydon left the stage to pose as Father Christmas. Like, yeah, it just put all this together. It's so bizarre. These were the Sex Pistols' last performances in Britain until the original members re reunited for the filthy uh, lucre tour in 1996. So then this, after all of that, yeah. comes January 1978, where they embark on a two-week U.S. tour. Right. And this is where the tension in the band is starting to get crazy. It's at its peak. Rotten was barely speaking to anyone. Mm -hmm. And Warner Brothers, which organized and staffed the tour, insisted that Vicious clean up his heroin habit. So he was using methadone, uh, he was in this like constant state of withdrawal. 
He was furious that the band had blocked Spongin from accompanying them on the tour. Yep. So you preface this tour. This is what was happening. Like yeah. it was just a time bomb. And McLaren had long been keeping Vicious on rations of $14 a week, but he would still manage to find drugs because yeah. he's addicted. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So to make matters worth, McLaren, ever eager for more chaos, you know, can't be enough. And careful that journalists were on the scene, booked a band, not in the clubs in New York, but into bars. And this was in bars in Louisiana, Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas. In San Antonio, on the 8th of January, Vicious felt antagonized by an audience member, struck him in the head, head with, with a base, base, like yep. you were talking about. Before the Sex Pistols took the stage of the uh, Longhorn Ballroom in Dallas, on January 10th, Vicious carved the words, Give me a fix, into his chest with a razor, later joking that if you try to kill yourself with a razor to the chest, it won't work. <laughs> he greeted the audience by calling them cowboy faggots. In return, he was struck <laughs> by a full can of beer to the head. The next night, uh, January 11th, he punched a hole in the green room wall after the band show at Kane's Ballroom in Tulsa. It was long rumored that at their 14th January show in a winter ballroom in San Francisco, that, yeah. Vicious did not even bother to plug in his bass at all. Although the video show makes it clear that when Jones's guitar cuts out during bodies, Sid was both playing bass and the right notes. Yeah. So again, mystery, some mystery, not. Yeah. Uh, there's also a pre-show sound check audio recording where Johnny says to turn Sid down because his bass was too loud. At the end of the show, Johnny Rotten uttered the famous quote, ever get the feeling you've been cheated. And that marked the end of the Sex Pistols. That was it. And Vicious yeah. showed how poorly he functioned when left to his own devices, going on a bender that led to a methadone overdose and his hospitalization in Queens, New York. Reunited with Spongin following his discharge, the Lovebirds journeyed to Paris to film the Pistols mockumentary, the great rock and roll swindle. The Enterprise again dissolved into mayhem, with Vicious preferring to shoot up in his hotel room instead of joining the production. And when he did leave the room, recalled director Julian Temple, Spungen made sure to remind him of the error of his ways. Quote, I remember coming back one day, said Temple, and she'd cut her wrists. There was blood all over the bed, and she'd faked up a suicide attempt to really make Sid feel that he shouldn't leave her even for a few hours to do any filming, end quote. In August 1978, the couple moved to New York City and set up in room number 100 in Manhattan's Chelsea Hotel. By this point, Spungen was acting as Vicious's manager. Along with getting him gigs in her old Lower East Side haunts, she served as Vicious's spokesperson when he was too stoned to communicate in the occasional media appearance. Their high-wire lifestyle came to an inevitable crash on the night of October 11th. Hosting a party in their tiny room, Vicious swallowed about 30 tablets of Twainol, a potent barbiturate mix, and was comatose for most of the night as guests came and went. On October 12, 1978, Sid discovered Nancy dead on the bathroom floor of their room at the Chelsea Hotel. She apparently died sometime between 5 a.m. and 9 a.m. of blood loss from a knife wound in her abdomen. At 10 a.m., Sid called down to, to reception asking for help after finding Nancy on the bathroom floor, and she was 20 at the time of her death. Yeah. 
At around 11 a.m. the following morning, as the front desk began receiving calls of distress about the situation in room 100, a bellman discovered an underwear-clad spongin on the floor, bleeding profusely from a knife wound to the abdomen, and a dazed vicious was found wandering in the hallway, reportedly wailing how he killed her. He repeated that admission to the police before recanting, insisting that he can't even remember anything about that night. Sid was the prime suspect in Nancy's murder, and although he initially said he had killed her, he later retracted his statement and said he'd been passed out on the bed when the incident had occurred. And most of the guests at the party also said that, you know, he was passed out for most of the night. The musician was arrested and charged with her murder. Freed on bail, Vicious was powerless to withstand the overwhelming loss in his life, and he attempted suicide a few days later. After spending two months in the Rikers Island prison complex, he celebrated his release in February 1979 by sending his mother to score some heroin. On the morning of February 2nd, the punk icon was discovered dead from an overdose, and it has been suggested in more than one uh, source that it was his mother who actually injected him with that last dose of heroin that resulted yeah, in his again, overdose this is as all, an act of love. This is all the big mystery. Of stuff. So over the ensuing decades, old friends have sought to put together the pieces to determine as much as possible, if they can, just exactly what happened to Spongin. Some have emphasized Vicious's drug induced stupor as evidence of his innocence, pointing to the shady characters who filtered in and out of room 100 that night as the more likely suspects. Others have suggested that her death was part of a botched double suicide attempt. McLaren has protested Sid's innocence, saying, quote, he was capable of a wide range of self-destructive acts, but I don't think that he could kill someone, especially his girlfriend, unless it was a botched double suicide. Yeah. And then, no, I don't believe Sid killed Nancy. She was his first and only love of his life. Phil Strongman wrote in his book, Pretty Vacant, A History of UK Punk, that Nancy could have been killed by Rocket's red glare, a bodyguard and drug dealer whom he claimed may have stabbed her after she confronted him about stealing. That's a popular theory. Strongman said in his book that Red Glare was even heard boasting about committing the murder at CBGB, a punk bar in New York. Red Glare died in 2007, and the true story of Nancy's death has really never been discovered. So whatever the cause, the survivors of that era are in agreement about the tragic couple's feelings for one another. Quote, she was his first and only love of his life. As everyone knows, you may argue with your first, want to leave them, move on and be with others, but you never truly get over them. End quote. So, I mean, I've heard now there's tons of documentaries. It seems like. Yeah. Seems like every year they're coming up with a the new most, one. The most popular is one with Gary Oldman, um, where he plays Sid Vicious. That's mm-hmm. you know, yep. Sid and Nancy is yep. the title. And yep. That's that's the most popular one. If you're gonna cut your teeth on any of the documentaries and that's not really a documentary, it's more of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I mean the movie's pretty good, I think. You know, I think Gary Oldman was awesome and he lost like I think at the time he lost like thirty pounds. It, it doesn't um, even look like him. Yeah. If you look at the pictures. I know, it's crazy. I'm like, I know they're saying yeah. that's Gary Oldman, but yeah. it doesn't look anything like no, they, Gary uh, Oldman. He lost 30 pounds for the role. Originally, they were talking about having Daniel Day-Lewis uh, play 
Sid Vicious for that role. Um, that's what they started out with. Um, and then the more and more they were hanging out with Gary Oldman and like Gary Oldman became the person, obviously. Yeah. Um, and Gary Oldman actually spent time with, um, uh, I forget who it was. Um, he spent, he spent time with somebody. Um, I think it was his mother. Um, Sid Vicious's mother. Cause well, he, I, I wouldn't doubt it. He actually got the, um, the padlock necklace, um, from her. And so he's actually in the movie when you're watching Gary Oldman in that, he's actually wearing the Sid's, same Sid's necklace. Sid's, you know, padlock necklace. Uh, but yeah, no, that's what it is. Oldman lost 30 pounds for the role and met with Sid's mother who gifted him her son's padlock on a chain and a leather spike bracelet that the actor wore in the got film. It. Um, but yeah, they were originally going to have Daniel Day-Lewis in that. Um, and then um, I forget who played Nancy. I think it was, um, oh, I can't remember. But um, yeah, it was just basically, uh, yeah, the whole Daniel Day-Lewis thing is Gary came from the same area that Sid was from. Right. And working class family and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So. Gary had that kind of connection. I mean, and like, he's amazing in the movie. Yeah. Really, really amazing. I mean, there's some stuff I'll dig. It's uh, been a long time uh, since I've watched that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's way, 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 way before Tiptoes. You know, that's uh... (laughs) (laughs) So, I have... um... But, just a a quick thing. Um, You know, you you really got to be careful where you go around looking for information on this because... It, it literally is shrouded in mystery. It is around all these two because, you know, if you if you talk to accounts, uh, you know, people sit there and they'll say, um, yeah, you know, Sid, uh, you know, depending on who you ask, there were stories of him physically abusing Nancy. Uh, he would vomit on groupies, strangling cats, mm-hmm. brawling with rednecks on the U.S. tour that yeah. didn't do so well. Um, and then there was others that knew him tell a different story. You know, and uh, like Steve uh, Severin of the Banshees, you know, he commented, he's like, he had a brilliant sense of humor. He was goofy. He was sweet. Very cute. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, he's probably both. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're you're torn torn up like that and then you throw a really, really serious drug addiction in there in the right. background. Spongeon's uh, middle class num- uh, mother, Deborah, recalls him as being endearing, shy, childlike, inarticulate, you know, when he visited her at home in Philadelphia. And, mm-hmm. uh, he was certainly desperately in love with their, her daughter, yeah. you know, um, in her own book about Sid and Nancy. And, uh, it's called, and I don't want to live this life. Uh, 1983 it's titled one of, uh, vicious's own lines. Uh, Deborah records him telling her tearfully over the phone from prison. I don't know why I'm alive anymore now that Nancy's gone. Yeah. So, I mean, there was definitely yep. this connection there. Definitely. Uh, you know, but you have, uh, you know, the story about Nancy, not so sweet, kind of just across the board. Yeah. Even the mother, you know, um, just saying that she is was now believed to have uh, this undiagnosed uh, psychiatric condition. Her mother's memoir describes Spongeon's disturbing behavior as a child mm-hmm. and from basically threatening her siblings during ten- temper tantrums. Yeah. To, she would actually attack a, a babysitter with uh, scissors. You know, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 tough. It's it real is tough. So I have um, this is list first stop 
Facts.com, and it's the top 10 disturbing facts about Sid and Nancy's doomed relationship. Oh, yeah? Sid infamously once said, quote, I'll die before I'm 25, and when I do, I'll have lived the way I wanted to, end quote. So this tragic timeline of his misfortunate life and their doomed relationship, it was only 19 months that he spent that. Yeah. They spent together. Well, I mean, even the Sex Pistols, it was only a couple years. Yeah. That's it. You know, and I mean, theoretically a year, you know, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So number 10 is he was the master of self-destruction. Mm-hmm. And of course, abandoned by his father, Sid and his mother lived a rather bohemian-like lifestyle. And I think that's putting it nicely. It's believed she also began taking drugs throughout his childhood. Eventually, they would move back to the U.K., but the quiet town of Turnbridge Wells, as you said, but that's not what that's not where an anarchist wants to be. So during his teenage years, Sid turned to self-harm. A close friend from childhood revealed Sid had a weird brooding quality. He would loon about. He was very bright, but he had another side. He was very hurt. I now realize even then he made me feel cautious. An hour or two of his company was enough. And then it's becoming Sid Vicious, you know, becoming, I think he went from being John to encapsulating and embodying Sid Vicious. Yeah. So at the age of 17, Sid gravitated toward the rock scene in London, and he was the drummer. And then 77, when he goes into the Pistols, He seemed like a convenient solution considering he was in the crowd at every Pistols gig anyway. Rotten christened christened him with the name Sid Vicious, inspired by his own pet hamster. What Sid lacked in musical talent, he made up for in stage presence, Mm -hmm. and the fans loved him. Band manager Malcolm McLaren said, if Rotten is the voice of punk, like you said, then Vicious is the attitude. It was a reputation that... Sid spent the rest of his life living up to. Well, and you got to understand, punk is all about attitude. Exactly. Like music second, attitudes first. Yep. That's punk. And then, as you said, uh, Nancy was just a difficult child. Mm-hmm. By the age of 16, Nancy had spent time in a mental institution, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. She fled to New York City, landed right in the middle of a heroin epidemic that was blowing up at the time. And to support her addiction, she became a topless dancer also worked as a prostitute, and she was known amongst punk rock bands as a groupie who could score drugs. Nancy followed band members uh, Johnny Thunders and Jerry Nolan of the Heartbreakers to London, but after landing, they decided to shake her off pretty quickly. And that's when she tried to get with Johnny Rotten, and he was like, fuck you, and along comes Sid and Nancy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She appeared at a gig with a young blonde... um, He appeared at a gig with her and introduced her as his girlfriend, Nancy. And instantly the band took a dislike to her. And Jones recalled, she showed up with Sid and I was thinking, who the fuck is this? This is a horrible person. Nancy taught Sid all about the sex, drugs, and punk rock lifestyle in New York City. And despite the pair being a terrible match for each other, they quickly became inseparable. And it wasn't long before Sid was fully hooked on heroin, according to one witness, Nancy had instructed Sid to push another groupie down the stairs, as we'd mentioned before. In Please Kill Me, the Uncensored Oral History of Punk, 
The Heartbreakers tour manager, Lee Childer, said Nancy was a junkie, a drug supplier, and an all-around lowlife. She was a very bad influence on people who were already a mess. She was a troublemaker and a stirrer-upper. And then Sid contracts hepatitis. Mm-hmm. This is we're only on six in their in their uh, in their lifeline here. In nineteen in April nineteen seventy seven, Sid performed at the London Islington Cinema, and then he took off with Nancy. They both landed at the apartment of lesbian dominatrix Linda Ashby in St James Hotel, Buckingham Gate, London. This was a stomping ground where many key figures in the London punk scene would spend the night and where celebrities and MPs would pay to be whipped by Linda for an exorbitant price. Eventually, band manager Malcolm McLaren found Sid at Linda's flat, dragged him out, and it was quite obvious Sid had been in the middle of an excessive heroin binge, and McLaren sent him home to his mother to straighten out. Six days later, Sid's mother is extremely concerned for her son's health as he's starting to turn a rather disturbing shade of yellow, and he was rushed to St. Anne's Hospital, totting him, where doctors confirmed he'd contracted hepatitis by using dirty needles. Mm-hmm. And Sid was ordered to stay in the hospital for four weeks. And then we get to the, at the halfway point, we're at the plot to kidnap Nancy. So during his stay at St. Anne's Hospital, Sid missed a pivotal moment in the Sex Pistols' career. A&M dropped the band from their record label after just one week, and they were instead signed to Virgin Records. Sid's signature is missing from the Virgin contract, and they recorded most of the new album without him as Steve Jones stepped in to cover the bass parts. Despite the Sex Pistols gaining notoriety with God Save the Queen, Sid was still a mostly absent member of the band. Instead, he preferred to be with Nancy in their West London apartment, sinking into a heroin-induced coma. Later, McLaren admitted to plotting to have Nancy kidnapped, put on a plane back to New York. The only flaw in his plan was that Sid never let Nancy out of his sight. Mm. So, number four, Sid goes solo. One night, Nancy stops a suicidal Sid from jumping out of a hotel window, and he he violently attacks her. Blood is drawn, and the police attend the scene. There are no charges, but the band has had enough. It's them or Nancy. On January 4th, 1978, there was so much tension in the Sex Pistols that they were forced to finally split. And that's when Sid and Nancy moved to Chelsea Hotel in Manhattan. She decided she was going to become Sid's manager and help promote his solo career. Although she was successful in landing her boyfriend a string of gigs at Max's nightclub in Kansas City, it wasn't long before Sid began sabotaging his own career again. And they both had fun in London together. But it was not the same experience in New York. As heroin was far more accessible, their addiction spiraled out of control And Deborah Spungen's mother said, quote, I think toward the end, Nancy suddenly began to see things more clearly and realize how far she had gone. She was in a box and there wasn't any way out, end quote. Watching Sid's potential diminish due to his self-destructive personality caused even more tension in the relationship, which very soon would come to its tragic end. And now we're at number three, which Mm -hmm. is the murder of Nancy. Yeah. Where do you know all the details? We know that the police... Find him. He confesses to the police. He recants. And then (laughs) there 
they get to the conflicting stories. When the police arrived, Sid gave conflicting versions of the events that had taken place before the murder. He said he stated that he stabbed Nancy. Then he said he didn't stab her. And even at one point, he told the police that Nancy had fallen onto the knife. So, again, he's charged with murder. But due to a, a number of the barbiturates he'd taken, he's got no recollection And then we get to this number two, this drug deal gone bad, which is where we get to, you know, it could be this other dude that that killed her. Yeah. So spending 55 days in a jail cell at the Rikers Island Detention Center meant Sid had to go through an agonizing heroin withdrawal process. Typical symptoms of extreme withdrawal include vomiting, insomnia, night terrors, diarrhea, abdominal cramping, and muscle aches. God, why would you? Oh. Leaving the detention center, Sid was escorted to the New York Criminal Court where he met with lawyers who were certain they could get him off of these charges. And they argued that Nancy was murdered by a drug dealer who wanted Sid's cash. Sid's lawyer, James Mar- uh, Merberg, said there were a number of other people who lived in the area, in the hotel, and who were supplying drugs to these people who had opportunities and access oh, to these people. Yeah. It was not unlikely that someone could have come in and attempted to assault them. We were very optimistic that the prosecution would not be in a position to prove beyond a reasonable reasonable doubt mm-hmm. that Sid was actually responsible. The defense was uh, also coincided with the missing $25,000 in cash from the hotel room, which was a royalty payment from Virgin Records. Sid's mother posted the $50,000 bail and left the court with her son, and within 24 hours, he would be dead. Yeah, because, I mean, that's that's what was happening in that period when they were in that hotel. He was just getting royalty checks yeah. from all this stuff. So, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's a common story of drug-addicted music stars, you know, or even movie stars for that case, you know. Yeah. I mean, just entertainers that have these royalty checks that keep flying in. So you could do whatever you want for the week. Yeah. You know. Because there's going to be another 25k coming at you, you know. It's it's horrible. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah it's, so it's terrible. February 1st, 1979 is when Sid is released from Rikers, and he celebrated making bail with a group of friends at an apartment on 63 Bank Street in Manhattan. And as we had stated during his time in prison, he was placed on a detox methadone program, and yeah. his first priority when he get out was immediately on a fix. The following morning, he would be dead of a heroin overdose at the age of 21. In an interview in 2014, Johnny Rotten said, quote, Sid didn't stand a chance. His mother was a heroin addict. I feel bad that I brought him into the band. He couldn't cope at all. I feel a bit responsible for his death, end quote. After the funeral, his mother found a suicide note inside one of Sid's jacket pockets. It read, quote, we had a death pact. And I have to keep my half of the bargain. Please bury me next to my baby. Bury me in my leather jacket, jeans, and motorcycle boots. Goodbye. End quote. With Sid now unable to stand trial, there's only speculation, but many believe the couple had made a Romeo and Juliet-inspired suicide pact. He was cremated at Garden State Crematory in New Jersey. His mother uh, traveled to Pennsylvania to ask for her son's ashes to be scattered, scattered over Nancy's grave. 
where she was buried in a Jewish cemetery, and this request was denied. Denied, yeah. Yeah, they don't do that in the Jewish cemeteries. No, no, <laughs> I could have told you that. No. <laughs> could have saved you a lot of yeah. time and but money. But here's the thing. You'll read some stories where there was some animosity between the parents and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, no, it's you got to know how those kind of rituals go, you know. Yeah, That's, yeah. Uh, so I got a, do you have more? No. All right. Because I got a queen story in this whole thing, a Freddie Mercury story. Okay. And I just, we I, gotta love, have it. I love Freddie Mercury. Yeah. So, so basically, um, there was a connection between these two bands for a while. Okay. And the, the connection between the bands started when Queen had to pull out of uh, their appearance on the Today program as Freddie Mercury had to go to the dentist for like the first time in like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And the Sex Pistols booked as a last minute replacement on, on Queen's thing. Okay. So this ensued uh, was like the most notorious television appearance by any band in history. Okay. So you're gonna have Queen, and then the Sex Pistols come, and they do their outlandish shit. Right. So, so um, both you parties getting Queen instead, you get Sex Pistols. Both parties found themselves occupying the rooms next to each other at a Wessex uh, recording studio. Okay. And it wasn't long before they came into direct conflict. Uh, Queen frontman Freddie Mercury gave a master class in acerbic wit. When making the most overrated uh, punk of all time, Sid Vicious, look like a moron. Um, and this came from Queen drummer Roger Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, who always said, uh, you know, it was like befitting of the late bassist. So at the time in 1976, Queen uh, was recording their uh, album News of the World. Okay. And the Sex Pistols, who only released one single, mm-hmm. Anarchy in the UK, were laying down that. Uh, and that would become uh, their only studio album before they imploded, never mind the Bullocks. Right. Here comes the Sex Pistols. So the eventual showdown between Mercury and Vicious is a moment that grabs all headlines in his 2011 memoir, Queen Unseen, Queen's roadie Peter Hintz detailed one occasion when Sex Pistols frontman Johnny Rotten crawled into Queen's studio to pay his respects uh, in one of the most surreal occurrences in literally like music history. Hints recalled that they had to discuss the matter with the Sex Pistols sound engineer to stop the intrusion from happening again. uh, Quote, one of the band members just crawled in on all fours of our studio up to the side of the piano, said, hello, Freddie, and left on all fours. Could you make sure he doesn't do it again? These guys have to pay for their studio time. They're trying to make it. They're struggling. Making real music. Yeah, and this guy crawls it. Yeah. I'm ready. So (laughs) so Johnny Rotten is one of the most layered figures in music, so there's no surprise that he was a fan of Queen. Right, yeah. You got to be nuts not to. I mean, I get it if you're not, but that's your loss. Uh, He'd even seen them in concert a few years prior. Quote, I said, oh, Johnny, that's not a good idea, Bill Price, the engineer of Nevermind the Bullocks, remembered in the 2002 classic albums documentary after Rotten told him he wanted to meet Mercury. Yeah. Quote, sometimes later, Johnny came back and said, I've been to see Freddie. I said, oh, okay. And as he said, it was there was a tap on the door. And it was Queen's producer said Freddie was playing piano. One of the band members just crawled on all floors. Across the studio up to the side of the piano, said, hello, Freddie, left on all floors. Can you make sure it doesn't happen again? So this was all well and good as it was beneath all the weirdness. Yeah. It came from Rotten being too nervous to speak to an artistic he 
greatly appreciated. Yeah. However, in his typical manner, it was Sid Vicious who ruined everything. Roger Taylor recalled, Sid came in and Sid was a moron. You know, he was an idiot, unquote. <laughs> Sid attempted to be witty and was sarcastic to Mercury about a recent uh, interview where he discussed his love for bath ballet, a form he'd been open and about uh, wanting to bring to the masses for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, hence recalled, Sid Vicious stumbled in the worst for wear and addressed Fred, have you succeeded in bringing ballet to the masses yet? And Fred casually gets up, walks over to him and quipped, aren't you Stanley Ferocious or something? <laughs> Took him by the collar and threw him out. <laughs> so Mercury would reproach the incident in a television interview in the 80s saying, quote, the Sex Pistols happened to be in the next studio. Can you imagine there was just a whole thing about punk rock and anti-establishment all coming under one roof? Mm -hmm. He continued, quote, and I got Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious to listen to one of our tracks. And I said, I'll sing on one of yours if you sing on one of mine. Could you imagine if that took place, that merger? I'm just oh. saying, like, holy crap, that would have been nuts. Like, this actually happened, like this discussion. And he goes, you should have seen him. Quote, we can't be with Freddie Mercury and all that. And he goes, I was wearing ballet pumps at the time. So again, the punk attitude ruined that whole yeah. uh, thing there. So utilizing the sharp wit he always exposed, Mercury then recalled destroying Sid Vicious by giving him a taste of his own medicine. He said, quote, I called Sid Vicious Simon Ferocious or something, and he didn't like it at all. And I said, what are you going to do about it? And he had all these very well sort of, he was very well marked. And I said, did you really make sure you scratched yourself in the mirror properly today? And he hated the fact that I could even speak like that. So I think we survived that test. Oh yeah. My God. Oh my God. If I could have been a fly in the room for that. Did you scratch your chest properly? <laughs> And that's what everybody's got to realize. It's a show. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's all just it's a all show. It's all a show. Yeah. And some of them take it too seriously. Yeah. Others don't. Others don't take it serious enough. Others don't. Yeah, correct. Yeah. You know. Yep. And now you couple that where it's a show and there's this, this big deal going on. And then you get people that are so just like they're so low in self-esteem. Mm-hmm. So it's never enough. Mm -mm. And so the craving just comes here and there and, you know, just all over the place. And it's sad. It's sad at, at the end of the day, you know. It's not great. And then you get something in like with Sid and Nancy where it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. You know? I mean, so, it's it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that they yeah. found each other. It's unfortunately. Well, no, yes. Yourself, I think maybe they lived longer with each other maybe. than if they were on their own. Maybe. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, it's hard to tell. But yeah, it's it's sad all the way around. But I mean, they know. definitely That's why we have it on the show. The worst in each other. <laughs> However, uh, yeah, so that's Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Um, Next week, we're doing Cult of the Month. Yeah, we're getting a little bit culty again. Yeah, yeah, Cult of the Month. I'm excited for this one. I am super excited about this one. Yeah. We are doing Hillsong. We are. Uh, an evangelist uh, mega church. Yeah. And mega is like an understatement. It's yeah. fucking huge. Yeah. And so we're going to get uh, deep and dirty into all that. We are. And um, 
and also just overall these kind of mega evangelist churches. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's going to be an interesting discussion to say the least. Mm -hmm. In further cult news. Something. This just in. (laughs) Smallville star Allison Mack. Oh, that's right. She's released from prison early over Nexium case. Um, Yeah. The star was sentenced to uh, three years in 2021. And she's uh, out early. Yep. So out she early. must have behaved in prison. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Uh, July 3rd, eventually. Yep. Was, uh, you know, after serving two years of the sentence. Mm-hmm. And so those of you that don't know about Nexium, that was our first cult of the month. It was. Last year. Yeah. So. When um, we uh, introduced the cult yep, of the month. Yep. So if you scroll back enough and you see N. X-I-V-M, for those that aren't fluent with it. Yeah, that's, that's Nexium. And that was the first cult of the month we did, and it mm-hmm. started a a habit of cult of months. Started this, yeah. yeah. But basically, for those that don't know, she pleaded guilty back in 2019 to racketeering charges and cooperated with uh, investigators, uh, including testimony against Nexium's leader, Keith Ranieri, uh, who was convicted of sexual uh, or sex trafficking charges and other criminal uh, criminalities in 2020. Uh, he was sentenced to 120 years in prison. So did they say whether or not she ever, like, denounced or renounced so basically, and or Keith? She was facing 17 years in prison. Okay. And she dished the dirt. And, yep. um, you know... Basically, ahead of her sentence, sentencing, Mac released a statement that publicly apologized to her victims and other women that were victimized by Ranieri. Quote, she cannot undo what has been done, and she will have to live with the regret for the rest of her life, her lawyer said. But Miss Mac still holds the potential to be valuable to society. We'll see. Uh, as a family member, as a friend, as a helper to those uh, in need, as a cautionary tale. So we'll see how that all plays out. I wish the best for her. Yeah. I hope she turns this whole entire experience into something positive and to help other people that are in those types of situations because she can see all the warning signs that others don't. And she has the ability to say, I've been through this. So she's an authority on the subject. And I really do hope that That she she does good. her powers for good. Yeah. Because in other news... There's more news. Oh, sure. We've got, uh, I, I found this article. Miss um, Maxwell from Epstein's uh, Crusades. Oh, yeah. boy. That broad. Yeah. They are calling her, quote, Prison Karen because she's bitching up a storm in prison. No surprise. No <laughs> surprise If you didn't at see all. that coming, you weren't paying attention. You weren't paying attention at all. <laughs> She's filed over 400 complaints behind bars. <laughs> yeah. For those of you who don't know who Ghislaine Maxwell is, uh, she's spent years convincing girls as young as 14 years old to be accused by the late fin- financier Jerry Epstein. Now she's trying to convince officials at FCI Tallahassee, where she is serving a 20-year sentence, which I'm sorry, they should that, th- yeah, they no. should lock her up and she throw away the in, fucking key. Yeah, she should so, be in prison for yep, life. No, 
and I'm sorry, I'm going to say it and you can fucking hate me for the rest of my life. This is the perks women get. Yeah. You got Allison Mack, who just got a couple of years, yep. you know, a handful of years. This one's got a 20 year sentence. Yeah. And she's been nothing for... but a fucking problem. And, yeah. And here's the thing. Convincing girls as young as 14 to be abused by the late financier. But yet there's no one that they're bringing up that's done the abusing. Weird. How weird is that? Oh, my goodness. You know, what a victim she is. Apparently, there was no abusers. Yeah. We all know who the freaking abusers are, you know. Oh, my God. No, this is a mess. So, of course, she's filed 400 complaints since arriving in the federal prison in July. It's been a year. 400 complaints. And it's going to be a long 20 years. Quote, Max is the prison Karen. She can file a grievance over anything. She has over 400 of them. An insider told this... Uh, um, British yeah. reporter or some reporter. Um, she complains about the food, the bedding, when they cancel Temple because of bad weather or are late setting up her legal calls. Yeah. She's allegedly griped that the, pre the prison's vegan menu was insufficient for her needs. She demanded that authorities replace her bedding with hyperallergenic pillows, a request that was honored and she was angered over the lack of access to a particular hair dye she wanted for an interview for the BBC. Yeah, I'm sorry, America, but we are way too soft on our fucking criminals. Yeah. I don't want to hear how, oh, we're just bringing people in there. No, I think people are going in there on purpose now. Yeah. And now the Bail Reform Act is a problem because now they can't go to prison. How many crimes do I have to commit to go and have this type of fucking lifestyle? Yeah. I don't live this good. No. This is insane. Yeah. Unreal. She ended up paying $200 to another inmate for the die. In one instance, Maxwell almost came to blows with another inmate in the laundry room after she demanded Maxwell return her temporary shoes. That caused a big argument. And Max complained that, she felt threatened and refused to go back to the laundry unaccompanied. Oh my God. That's her in a nutshell. Every aspect of prison life offers an opportunity for her to play the victim. Yeah. She creates constant drama for staff and inmates alike. The guards have supposedly retaliated by canceling a bunch of courses. Maxwell teaches about social media marketing and etiquette. You know, how is she teaching anything about etiquette? Well, she groomed she all these people. She used her position as a woman, yeah. Which normally to other women, yeah, you're not as she groomed. She so, did. So how many pimps? She used that comfortability. How many pimps? Yep. Give etiquette lessons. None of None them. None of them. She's the pimp that has to give etiquette lessons because that's the clientele these people were going at. Oh my and yet, God. no one wants demands of who this client list is. Yeah, it is unreal to me. Like, how much shit do you have to fucking take to say this is enough? Do you remember I, when... I just the laying down of all this. So, wait. So, uh, there's a ploy to change prisons with her. Yeah. Um, after her conviction, Maxwell's attorneys requested that she serve her time in FCI Danbury in Connecticut. Of course she wants to go to Connecticut because she can have everybody in fucking Connecticut feel sorry for her. Mm -hmm. She's in Florida. Yeah. So, that Danbury, Connecticut, that's a prison to believe the believed to be the model for Orange is the New Black. 
just oh, to give you context. Yeah. And all. Right. Yeah. That's why she wants to go there because no one's feeling sorry for her in Florida. No. No one. No. But she can go up to Connecticut. This is the game she's playing. Yeah. You know, and the funny part is, is she'll do, she's, I'm going to flag this, everybody. Okay. She's serving 20 years. She's going to get her ass into Connecticut one way or another. Mm -hmm. And then she's, all of a sudden, all of these problems are going to disappear. She's not going to have problems with her hypogenic pillow. No. She's not going to have problems with fucking teaching her etiquette classes. She's going to be turned into a reformed person and she's going to get out in 13 years. Yeah. She's gonna get she's gonna get thirty to forty percent of her sentence reduced down. Yeah, I guarantee this, mm-hmm. and that's why I wanted to bring this up on the podcast. Yeah, because I'm bringing this up. And I'm making a note of it in my notes. Right. Because freaking th- ten, thirteen years later, or less, I dare. Yeah. The quicker she gets to Connecticut, the more those idiots are gonna fall victim to her, for her ploy and her feel bullshit. sorry for yeah. her and play the victim card. You know. And I'm going to sit here as the genius calling it, you know. But Maxwell allegedly wants to be shipped out to Connecticut. Tallahassee is big. It's old. It's ghetto. Max has too many enemies and she wants out. You know, so this is what happens when you're highballer mm-hmm. running your sex trade, you know, your sex slave trade deal. Well, yeah, she and had everything you, she ever wanted. And now you come down here and you're you're a schmuck like everyone else. Yeah. And she can't order people around. Yeah. She She's can't do special. all this stuff. She's not Nothing. special. You know, I'm sorry. Keep her in fucking Tallahassee. Yeah. Keep her there yeah. as long yeah. as you possibly can. Have her scrub the floors with a And guy. have her do all, yeah. every single hour of every single day of yeah. that 20-year sentence, which is a bullshit sentence. Yeah. She should be scrubbing floors with a fucking toothbrush. I'm she sorry. She should be she cleaning should be. floors with her mouth. You know. <laughs> you lick that yeah. floor clean. And for those of you that don't know, she's, you know, 61. She was convicted in 2021 on five counts of sex trafficking and conspiracy to commit sex trafficking for her role in grooming and recruiting underage girls who were abused by the late finan- uh, financial advisor Epstein. And again, who are the clients? I'm just curious, yeah. you know. Um, you know, it's amazing. You know, just list 10 clients. 10. Well, remember when you know, they had that we all know there's um, more than 10. online list of the people that were you know, like politicians. They were high-ranking politicians yeah, they celebrities. Yeah, the, they got them from the flight logs. No, no. I'm talking about, do you remember when it was a website where they could go on? Oh, yeah. Um, and it was all these, like, married guys. Yeah, yeah. And they made a point of doing everyone. Same with that chick in um, California that was the Hollywood madam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They made a Heidi Fleiss. Heidi Fleiss. They made a point yeah. of listing Putting out the names out. who her. That's because the names of these are too big. It, yeah. You know, I mean, you look at the flight logs, the flight logs are revealing. It's Bill Gates. It's Bill Clinton. You have that uh, that dude from um, the royal family. Um, yeah. Was it? Uh, the one that lost his pretty much title. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Andrew. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It's not the kids. It's the other one. It's the like the cousin or something like that. Uh, um, I forget his name. It's Andrew, I think, or something. That's like what that. I just said was Andrew, oh, and I you don't said know. not the kids. <laughs> That's William and Harry are the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, so it's him. But yeah, I mean, like, like Clinton is the big one. Yeah, I he is. I, whether you like it or not, I don't care if you're a Clinton fan. 
you know, just the truth is the truth. You got to understand what the truth is. Yeah. Those flight logs on the Lolita Express, which is the plane, to Lolita Island. Right. He was on, I think it was 60 of them or something like that. And the weird part is, is there's 10 or 13 of them where he doesn't have his Secret Secret Service Service detail detail on there. Yeah. You know, so what the fuck is that all about? Mm Mm-hmm. Bill Gates, another one. They're buddies. I mean, it's just pictures all over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's even talk that Trump was with him on something or another. Yeah. You know, I know he made I a couple flights. There was a couple on the logs. You know, and then yeah, of course, I mean, I you got to say it for what it is. He was president then. Mm-hmm. You know, so was there any kind of interference with that? You don't know. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: fucking talk about it. Yeah. You know, and I'm sorry, but I think if the news had proof. Cold-blooded proof that Trump was on those planes and on that island, yeah. they would have roasted him on a spigot because they're getting him after fucking paperwork now, mm-hmm. you know. And and but the fact that they don't want to talk about it, I think is yeah. I, it's revealing, you yeah. know. And just Clinton and Bill Gates being the two big names that are on that flight list and all that other stuff. Who the fuck else is on that? Yeah. And then you look at all of these campaign donation like. Um, uh, dinners and mm-hmm. all that stuff and parties. This guy's schmoozing with fucking all of them. Yeah. You know, and more and more I'm getting into this. I leak it out here and there, certain mm-hmm. things yeah. and stuff like that. But eventually I'm 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 doing as much research as possible to do the Epstein thing right. Right. I want to have all my information lined up, eyes dotted, T's crossed. All your ducks in a line? Yeah, yeah. Because I... There's so much of this story that no one has a fucking clue about. No. And it's amazing to mm-hmm. me. And the longer it goes, the more uncomfortable it is. Yeah. The longer it goes, the more strange it is. And I it don't just... understand the hard on the press has for Trump. Oh, that's and easy. The total disregard disregard they have everything else. <laughs> yeah. For everything else. No, it is. It's it's obvious now. You see, that's the thing. Like like three years ago, four years ago, it was a kind of statement, you know, because, I mean, Trump really has a serious problem. His mouth gets in his fucking way yeah. every fucking time. Yes. You know, if he just stayed quiet, yeah, I think, you know, 80% of his problems would go away. And yeah. everyone knows that. Right. Everyone knows yeah. that. Even the Trump fans know that. Yeah. Even Trump knows no, that. No, yeah, just like, you know, but- <laughs> It's not going to stop him. But, you know, I think- You really got to start looking at it now. You got to admit there's a deep state. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe there's a deep state, then I don't know what to tell you. You know, I mean, I just, there's, there's, but I know we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it more next year. Mm -hmm. Um, the, this whole deep state type of stuff. Cause there's some really, really questionable things. Uh, before we even get into that next year and you want to, you know, you're the noodling type on your phone if you're awake at two in the morning and you need shit to fucking fill your head with, check out the January 5th bomber. That's the day before the January 6th thing at the Capitol, the yes. insurrection. Yes. There is a story about the January 5th bomber. And I guarantee you, just me saying it right now, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if 99% of this audience has... No idea what they're talking, what that is. Mm-hmm. I know you don't. No. I know you have no idea what the January no. 5th bomber is. And that's what I want to open with next year. Okay. Because the January 5th bomber, you're going to hear that story and you're going to have 8 million fucking questions. 
And yeah. you're going to be like, A, why don't I fucking know about this? Right. B, why wasn't this a story all over the fucking place? Right. C, why isn't it a story now? Right. You know, yeah. D, and just keep going down the deal. And then that's the rabbit hole. I've been trying to find a gateway thing into the deep state. Right. And it's the January 5th bomber. Okay. That's what it is. Because once you get into the January 5th bomber, it's a slippery slope all through these other avenues. And then right. you start looking and you're like, yeah, you know what? That's pretty fucking weird, too. Right. Yeah. That has a lot of questions. It's the Epstein thing, too. Was this guy a Mossad agent? A lot of people ask that, you know, for out in the Middle East. You know, was he a Mossad agent? Was he getting all this dirt on these politicians for the Mossad group? Yeah. You know, and again, me saying the Mossad group, how many people on this podcast actually know what that is? Right. Or is it just something you heard vaguely? And that's stuff I want to get more into Next year. Next year. Yeah. Okay. I think it's it's poignant. You know, my whole thing is, I, I always said I never wanted to get too political on this podcast, mm -hmm. but this is a way of me, like, not getting political on it. These are logical questions that you need to ask. Right. And if you're going to vote in 2024, I think you need to know these things. Yeah. Just to be more informed on your yeah. vote. I don't care who you vote for. No. Deep down, I do. Yeah. I really do. I really care who you vote for. But- it's your vote. That's yeah. the beauty of the country. You have your freedom to put your vote. But I think there's a lot of things you haven't been told as an American citizen yeah. that you need to know about. True. And it's stuff like Epstein. Mm -hmm. It's stuff about like the January 5th bomber. Mm -hmm. It's stuff. While, why, why is this Maxwell chick trying to get to Connecticut? Yeah. Why? Why Connecticut of all places? Those are things I have answers for. Right. You know. And, and and it all glues in together. It all gets in together. And then you got to ask yourself, oh, yeah, okay, why is Trump getting all lined up on these document charges when our current sitting president has documents, too? Yeah. And the worst part is, is he got those documents when he was vice president. Yeah. He should have no business carrying those things. Yeah. That's the and whole thing of a voice present. Like he's got documents in his garage. In his that garage. Isn't, isn't even secured. Yeah. Yet. They're not even a secured location. He has documents that are in a. Uh, um, uh, uh, in a college. In too, a foundation right? that he has at, at Pennsylvania College. I think it's Penn State. In a college. Yeah. That someone could just walk in and be like a volunteer for the place. And they're around all this stuff. So it's like. He, but the problem is, is like, this is the hole you get in with. The derangement syndrome, yeah. I'll call it with Trump, you know, I get where you might be angry about the guy. I get where you might hate him for certain mm -hmm. things, but you got to be fair. Yeah. That's my thing. As yeah. an independent, yeah. as a as a middle of the road, moderate person, you got to be fair. So if you're going after this guy who was president, yes. who can literally say, pick up a document and say, I declassify this. Yeah. And he doesn't even have to say it. He can... In his mind, mm -hmm. as he's grabbing it, say, I'm declassifying this. Because it's never been discussed before. Right. It's always just been assumed that a president can have, and they're all, you know, it's all top secret stuff. It's like the Duke gets a top secret briefing every day. Yeah. All ex-presidents get a top secret briefing. Or they have the option of it. Yeah. And they get the handbook, like a folder, and yeah. they, they get it. And it's top secret stuff that's going on now. So you're all wound up because he's got some top secret documents in a protected resort that he owns yeah. and has his own security and secret service on top of that. Right, yes. But yeah, he gets a briefing every single day. W then what's your problem? Mm -hmm. You know, 
So, Ari, is he selling secrets for things? Okay, then prove it. Yeah. But you're not proving it. No. You know, so now it's just this story. And I think everybody's starting to see through this. And then you get Biden, who's a sitting president, but the documents that he got was when he was a vice president. So he shouldn't even have the he documents. He should have never had them, mm-hmm. period. But yet he had them. And now I just read where uh, the amount of money that they've spent pursuing Trump on these documents is something like $12 million or $15 million they've spent already to pursue these documents. And they've only spent $1.2 million on Biden. You know, so th- there's a there's a real there's definitely a there's a double standard. Yeah. There's a double standard here. Um, and so what I've learned is that people just don't know about these stories. No. And so that's where next year I'm not going to inundate on it. It's going to be even less than uh, cult of the month. About once every two months, we're going to just pump out one of these big stories mm-hmm. that I guarantee you probably haven't heard of. You probably he- haven't heard the light of day on it. And I think this is the great forum of it where we can talk about that kind of stuff and just get it out to mm-hmm. you. And then, you know what? You can agree with it. You can disagree with it. Do with it what you will. Don't really care, mm-hmm. you know? But but at the end of the day, I think this is another component of things we can talk about. And they're really, really amazing stories. Mm-hmm. They're incredible. And it's happening right now. Um, but I think, yeah, if you're, if you're going to vote in 2024, I think there's these kind of five to six stories that you need to know about. Yeah. And and then, yeah, you can do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. It's a free country, hmm. you know? And I think we should be free to talk about it. You should be free to listen. And for those of you that are around people that have conflicted families and stuff, maybe this information will help bridge the gap on some things. Right, yeah. You know, I like I said, I, I think the human trafficking thing and the sex trafficking, that's something we could all unite behind. Seriously. You know, we, we really could. We should be all uniting yeah. behind it. And, and if we're not, I think that's a Problem that's in and a of huge itself. problem. No, Why? And, and that's what we're going to start getting under the covers with next year. I've been researching this now. Come next year, it's going to be two, two and a half years. Mm-hmm. I've been researching this. I wanted to kick it out so many times, but I was like, nope, nope. Yep. The voice telling me, nope, wait, you do this right. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. Not yet. No, not yet. and I want to do a big blowout. Maybe it's a part one, part two of just the Epstein stuff. But, but yeah, no, there's a lot of crazy things going on that just aren't being talked about. Yeah. And lately that's been our gripe on yeah. this show. It's like, why can't we have conversations about this? Yeah. Why is social media banning content? Yeah. Why why, why are, are they censoring speech? Yeah. Why are they censoring speech? And then you get into that rabbit hole of, well, who is telling them to censor speech? Mm-hmm. You know, and that gets into these these things, you know. And that's what I find interesting with Zuckerberg coming out with the Twitter thing. You know, if you think this is coincidental that he's coming out with this and a year from now there's a presidential election and there's a big election in the country and all of a sudden Zuckerberg just says, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to I'm going to come out with this Twitter, you know, this Twitter uh, competitor, you know, now, you know, I if you think that's coincidental, you're nuts. You know, um, it is amazing. There's things I post on Facebook and no I, one sees. I see it get throttled. And trust me, I know who I have for friends. I yeah. know who I have for a following. And I know when there are some things I post and I'm getting reactions immediately. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and they'll come through. And then I'll post stuff just to test it, just to see. And I'll look and I'm like, yep, there's the algorithm at work. They're, they're not banning me, 
but they're pushing it way down yeah. and nobody's seeing the light of day of it. And and that's suppressive speech. It is. You know, and now you got to ask yourself why, why are they su- why are they su- suppressing speech? Yeah, who are What's they? What's the point? Who who is who is author who's the authority on that? You know, and everybody says, well, you know, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. And it's like, well, then why does the government call them all the time? Yeah. You know, and those are stories we're going to get into yeah. and deep with that. And to pre preface all that, I'm in cybersecurity, been in cybersecurity for years. So you want to go head to toe to toe with me on IT stuff and how things are communicated on electric devices? Oh, be my guest. I'll have you, I'll have you a guest on this show, mm-hmm. you know, and we can go toe to toe on the stuff you disagree with me at. I have no problem with it. But those who do know me, if I bring my facts and I say I have my facts, I have my fucking facts. You know. So, yeah, interesting news with Maxwell. Like I said, no surprise her wanting to go to Connecticut because that's where that's where all her – she can be a victim yeah. there and they'll swallow it all up. Yeah. But I say, yeah, keep her in Florida. And, again, Allison Mack, I hope she – I hope she comes out of this well. You know, I hope she turns her life around. Yeah, I hope she helps other people that are because I know a situation. lot of the people that were uh, monetarily supporting Keith Ranieri are still supporting him. Oh, there's still some people. There's that chick from the uh, Seagram's chick that the has Seagram's all the chick money. That has yeah. all the money, and there's that chick from Firefly. Yep. And uh, she was on uh, Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. I forget her name. But, yeah. You know, there's only one person that's in Firefly and Battlestar Galactica. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's still like just knee deep into all that. And that's where I hope like. That's where I hope like Allison Mack can like approach her and be like, hey, you know, I don't know. I think I think with cults, you get to a point where the person is unreachable. Well, they're so deep into it and they're so into it. They've been brainwashed so much that I just think they get to a point of no return where they just. I think it's the same thing, and this is where I kind of threw it all together because I knew at some point it would come to this. Um, it's the same thing with drug use that, like, Sid and Nancy were doing. Mm-hmm. In order to leave that, you have to leave everything. Right. And that's the problem with, say, someone we were just talking about with Nexium. Yeah. You know, she's in it so deep that she has to leave all of it. All of it. I don't think she can. And herself. Yeah. You know, like, everything about her, all of that. And that is a very, very tough transition to do. Yeah. And if you don't have the right support around it and you don't want to do it yourself, it's yeah. a combination of things. Mm-hmm. But it does start with her. You know, yeah. at some point there has to be a light bulb moment where it's wrong. And you could say, you know, she's in it too deep. But, you know, hell, you look at people with Scientology and they crawl out of it. You know, Leah Remney is a great example. You know, I think she's proved to people that are in these situations that you can walk away. You yes. can pull it off. Now, yes, granted, you can. she's got financial resources and she's got, you know, things, but for good or worse, that could help her. But but then there's the Mike Renders who say, had it not been for the abuses of David Miscavige, he never would have left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So I... No, I don't it's, know. they're they're real tough, and and we're gonna get into that next week with, you know, Hillsong. Hillsong. You know, Hillsong's uh, pretty nuts. So yeah, if you uh, if you have uh, Max, it's called now. Um, used to be HBO Max, right. but if you have Max, that 
there's a documentary. There is on that on um on Max. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh what was it four parts something like that something like that three there's parts three and then there's parts, a follow up and then the fourth part is an update. Yeah, it's like a follow up update. Yeah. So you know yeah the first three parts are big. So yeah, if you want to get a jump start on that or if you just want to hit it nice and fresh, we'll see you next week on Monday. Yep. You know so with that being said, rule number one. <sighs> Can't believe we still have to say it. We do. No Ouija boards. No. Rule number two. No dolls. Three. No capes. Yeah. How about cloaks? See, here's the See, thing. See, we went through this at the Ren Fair. We were at the Ren Fair. <laughs> and I got to tell you guys, I was... Torn. Enamored. Yeah. No, I'm still enamored by these... I would They're call cloaks. I would call it a cloak. They were cloaks, yeah. But man, they were nice. <sighs> yeah, they were real nice. I just kept picturing myself walking Dean around the neighborhood with my cloak. With a cloak. <laughs> In the fall, how great would that look? You know. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Definitely. Next rule. Uh, no blood rituals. No. What do you got after that? No cults. We're all done. No. No cults. I no. wish we were done. Yeah. But no cults, yeah. satanic or otherwise. Yeah. Maybe, maybe don't, maybe visit a mega church. We're, we'll get into that next week. Yeah. 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 Next. No apathy. You no. need to act. Yeah. You need to start getting pissed about human trafficking. You need to start getting pissed about... Uh, bail reform. Why is it people are allowed to rob multiple people in a day because yeah. they no longer have to go to jail? They just get an appearance ticket. And if they're robbing three different people on the same day, do you really think they're just going to show up in court on the day that the piece of paper says they have to be there? See, this is where I think Christ was on to something. I think Christ was on to something I'm loving and being nice. Mm hmm. Because if you're a really nice person, mm-hmm. this is where I think God has a a larger plan mm-hmm. on things that sometimes people have a hard time grasping. If someone murders a crook, if a crook matters, murders a crook, no one Nobody cares. Nobody cares. No. But if a crook murders a poor, helpless woman... Yeah. Or the nice guy in the community. Yeah. Or the nice woman who's a teacher at then school. Then you're outraged. Then you're outraged. And that's how that's how the big chessboard game is played. And this goes back to the the apathy part mm-hmm. of help that person across the street. Yeah. Become that nice person in your community where all of a sudden you're not just somebody that lives in the neighborhood. Right. But you're that nice guy that yeah. helped me with my cart. Yeah. You're that nice person that says hello to me all the time when I see you and mm-hmm. you have a smile. Yeah. So then if something happens to you, People will be like, hey. People will be like, wait, that was the guy that smiles and helps that's me all the time. That's the guy that helps you get across the street. Yeah, you know, or that's that guy that greets me every day or right. whatever and yeah. just has a nice smile. You know, what the fuck? Why is somebody giving him a problem? Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I think that's where Christ and God has it figured out in the master plan. And that's where I look at that rule. Mm-hmm. You know, you be that nice person because, A, it's contagious as fuck. It It really is. Yes. You know, if you're just sitting there going through your good day, but then you see somebody do like a really good deed right in front of you, you look at yourself and you're like, yeah, you know what? I could probably lean into this a little more. 
Exactly. You know, maybe I should start helping yeah. people. It becomes a pay it forward it's, yeah, moment. It's, yeah. it's contagious, as bad things are, too. Correct. You know, I mean, like, if you have a kid that's behaving badly around other kids, other kids are looking like, hey, can He's I get away with it? Can I get away with that, too? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, but if you have a kid that's really well-mannered and they're like, oh, look at that fucking brown noser, you know. Yeah. But he gets everything he wants, so maybe I should try being uh, nice, maybe too. Maybe I yeah. should try it. Yeah, it works like that. Next rule. Don't engage with the black-eyed children, no, people, no, animals. No. Yeah. You need to see the whites, the iris, the pupil. Yeah. And if it's all just one color and that color happens to be black, bye. Run. Bye. Yeah. Next rule. Just listen. Yeah. Yeah. So we hope uh, we hope you are still here listening. Um, if you're not, of, I get it. Some of these topics we can go on forever. So, yeah, this one's long. And, you know, I'd say we're sorry, but we're not. Um, you know, sorry, not sorry. We could have easily did this for another thirty minutes with a yeah, bathroom I mean, break. Who much it, knows? Does longer. it have anything to do yeah. with Sid and Nancy? Ah, in the beginning maybe. part, did. yeah, yeah. No, because there's alien news I wanted to bring up, and I can't do no, that. You no. know, and that would put us into the stratosphere of two and a half hours. I think alien you know. news would be great with Hillsong. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll fit it in there. It's yeah. a short bit, but yeah. we got to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening and uh, for the new folks that are coming. Welcome aboard. And, um, you know, if you're new, we do have a Facebook group. We do have a Facebook group. You can go to our, the easiest place to do it is our, our website, oldthehorrorpodcast.com. Or no, yeah, oldthehorrorpodcast.com. And uh, right on the top, on the right side of the page, um, or it's in a menu if you're on a phone, I think. Um, but we have the Facebook group. You can connect to our Instagram page. Uh, we do have a YouTube page there that has no videos. Zero. Yeah. We're working on that, believe it or not. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> that's a spoiler. Um, the big spoiler is next year. I think we're really thinking of doing a video stream. Um, you know, more and more it's looking. Video killed the radio <laughs> star. Yeah. Like 40 years ago. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So. To the new folks, if you want to connect to us on a, a social level, you know, we're more active on the Facebook group. Yes. Um, I've been debating on Twitter, you know, but the problem is it's just then there become so many social media things and we don't have a social media person. We don't. It's we're just mom us. and pop stuff. Again, if you're new, I mean, this is just uh, we're two people from central New York. Um, not famous. No. Uh, you know. Nobody's. Maybe we're famous to you. Hey, thanks. We appreciate it. Uh, but. We, hey, they're the podcast people. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. They're the people I listen to. They go on and on. No, but the, uh, yeah, uh, the best thing we can ask of the new folks, you know, the old, the old. Uh, the OGs. The OGs. You've heard this a million times, but it still applies to you. Um, if you could just forward our uh, link on your um, social media, you know, feed just put, hey, you know, I like this podcast. Just sharing it with my my friends if you want to check out. To those of you in the group who are doing that, I see you. No, we do. I we see do you. see you, and we Thank talk you. about we talk about you we here do. at the house. And we're we like, do. look at them. Yep, we love them. So, uh, yeah, because that's uh, we're at the mercy of the algorithms and our fans. Yep, basically. Yep. Um, there's no grand enterprise here. There's no. no agent. There's no producer. There's no staff. We don't have a. Uh, Keith holding the boom mic or whatever, you know, like none of that's going on. No, we're, you know, but we're very fortunate and we are very blessed. We know, uh, you know, we keep. If you'd like to make zero money and help with that. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, but we, um, no, we're, we're very blessed with it because even last month, we keep beating the previous year's month. And we did hey, that last month. At the end month. of the day, that's uh, which all means I ask. more of you are here and more of you are listening and more of you are listening a lot. Um, and we just thank you so much. Thank and, you. Gracias. Yeah. And it's all over the world, it seems, which is even cooler. Isn't you know, Danko a, another thing? Oh, sure. Yeah. Gracias. Gracias. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, uh, thank you so much. And if you can, rate and review us on your uh, your favorite podcast platform. Yep. And, uh, you know, you can throw a sweet review, you know. That- hey, turns out when you're doing the reviews, you don't even have to mention, hey, this is a great show. You can be like, I like ice cream. And it still counts. Yeah. Actually, I think what would be better is uh, creative director Dean Winchester rocks. Yeah. That would be a good thing to put because he does. He does. Yeah. Yeah. He knows it too. Oh, creative. Yeah. We do have a creative director on this podcast. We do. So unlike other podcasts, we excel in that area. Yes. You know, we have creative director Dean. If you'd like to see who he is, his bio is on the uh, the website as well. Um, I recommend checking it out because, uh, you know, he's he's an amazing individual. He's the best of us. He really is (laughs) the best of us. He really is. So with that being said, have an amazing day. A lovely week. And make good choices. Take care.